All right, thank you for joining me, everyone. Charles Moskowitz. Before I get started here, I want to note the fact that um, my previous program, uh, three uh, debunkings of Jewish conspiracy, has been, um, I guess you wouldn't say banned, but it's been compromised by, by the YouTube censors. And um, you can see it, but you can't comment. I suppose it's in a state of somewhat control. They're claiming that there was something on that video that violated community standards. Um, I honestly and I sincerely don't know what that is. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to promote Jewish conspiracy, hardly, quite the opposite. My goal is to debunk conspiracies that have been presented again about Judaism. And um, I'm doing this as someone who has authored three books that are related to this topic. And I'm doing it as someone who is a traditional Jew, myself, who is concerned about the proliferation of anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, and in some cases anti-Semitic uh, commentary on YouTube. And um, I haven't seen that commentary in any way limited. In fact, um, the, uh, the, the comments on those are, are strong and sometimes they're pretty severe and pretty negative. So I don't know why they've decided to limit me are they, is it because they're anti-Jewish? I don't know. But um, I'm not going to let it impair me. I'm going to move forward and continue to comment on what I, on the whole issue of um, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, and anti-Israel comments. And I just would like to add as a quick footnote before I get into today's program, which is going to be a comment on claims that the Talmud contains anti-Jesus commentary. Um, I just want to make a note that if for any reason my YouTube videos are stricken off of YouTube, or if my channel is in any way compromised, then you can still get the program. I have a lot of backup programs. This is a syndicated program. The program also appears live streamed and archived on Periscope, Facebook, Twitch, and several other venues. And the audio is archived on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, TuneIn, and Google Play. Uh, plus, I have the whole thing further downloaded and archived on Podomatic. So, you know, I, I'm th this, is, this program simultaneously broadcasts to a lot of sorry to a lot of different sites, and um, and is further downloaded as an MP4 file in several others. So if heaven forfend YouTube takes me off the air for whatever reason, the sh the program will continue, and it will go on. And um, and while I respect YouTube's attempt to regulate what they call hate speech and uh, lack of community standards. I recognize that that's part of being in public life and I respect that. And I wish they would actually regulate certain things that really are hateful out there. I seriously question whether or not what I'm doing here constitutes anything even remotely like hate speech and that it really makes me question 
who the hell is running YouTube and what their agenda might be. Because if someone has it out for me, then <laughs> I don't know. I mean, are we going to really see a, a further restriction of speech that doesn't agree with whoever, whatever this clique is? And if so, given the fact that they are so prevail, prevalent and powerful, what does that say about free discourse and the open exchange of ideas? I think that it's troubling. All right, now let me get into my contention for today. And I have an interesting list of guests coming up this week. So stay tuned. I tend to do the program live at noon. Um, and then it's also archived on YouTube and the other aforementioned venues. I want to talk a little bit about this ongoing claim that the Talmud contains characterizations that are offensive to Christians and uh, that are a, uh, a, an unpleasant characterization of the person of Jesus. It's difficult to really know sometimes what the Talmud is talking about because it's not chronological often. So when they make reference, and there are some references to a character that's called Jeshu, it's hard to know if that is a reference to Jesus or if it's a reference to another Jeshu. There's a particular one who apparently uh, was uh, around during the time of the Maccabees, which is several hundred years before Jesus. And, um, and it's hard to know for sure, but what I would suggest is that it is unlikely that negative commentary in the Talmud pertains to Jesus. I don't believe it does. Um, first of all, the Talmud is, is written, it was written in two parts. The first part, the Mishnah, was written a couple of hundred years after Jesus' death, probably around the same time as the, as the Gospels. Um, and it was written by a rabbi, Judah the Prince, or Judah Hanazi. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. And he also closely collaborated with and was friendly with the Roman emperor at the time, who was called in the Talmud Antonius, and who was called in history Marcus Aurelius, who was thought of as the philosopher emperor. And it was a very enlightened time in the Roman Empire. Um, his predecessor, Antonius Pius, and his, his, fo his follower were also very enlightened emperors. This was a golden age in Rome. They were pagan. They were not Christian. And um, they were, were friendly to Judaism. They tolerated Judaism, which was why the Mishnah could be written without any problems. I mean, it was, it was developed at that time. And um, at the time, the rabbis decided to write down the Talmud, which had been a tradition, which had been what's called the oral law, or the Shabal Peh, which was passed down from the generations, according to Jewish tradition, um, because they felt that Judaism at that point, or the Jews, or the Judeans, as we were known back then, had really lost or had really been compromised in terms of our ability to achieve sovereignty in our homeland. It was about 100 years before Judah the Prince that the Bar Kokhba rebellion was defeated, that Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was, on the site of the temple was erected a, a pagan idol of, uh, to uh, Apollo, 
and that the city of Jerusalem was renamed Aliyah Capitolina, and the province of Judea was renamed Palestina by the Emperor Hadrian. Now, the reason, by the way, that Hadrian renamed Judea Palestina around 140 AD is to mock the Jews. I mean, Palestina is a reference to the ancient Philistines, who, of course, are in the, in the Bible. They're in the book of Judges. They're in the book of, of uh, Kings. They were the enemies of King David. They were the enemies of Samson, the, the, that Delilah was a Philistine. And, um, you know, tradition holds that they were a Greek people. They were seafaring people who had landed on the coastline of Judea, of Canaan at the time. Um, and that they had been utterly defeated by David. They had disappeared from the pages of history hundreds of years earlier. But by resurrecting the name Palestina, Hadrian was basically saying that Judaism was ended. There was no more Judaism. It was you know, that, that it was wiped off the pages of history. Of course, we know that's not true, but that's what was viewed at the time because of the defeat of the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, which was not the last rebellion, but it was the last really significant Jewish resistance to the Roman occupation. So Judah the Prince, a hundred years later, decided that it was appropriate to write down the Talmud, to write down the Mishnah, because he and the Sanhedrin realized that um, in order for Judaism to survive, there would have to be, this would have to be done. You know, it, it's the same, and yet they, they, were, they were resistant to do it because it would have been putting into writing that which was assumed, the common law of the Jewish people. In, in a way, it was the same argument that the founding fathers of the United States had when they wrote down the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, but particularly the Bill of Rights in, in uh, 1788. They felt that the rights that were covered by the Bill of Rights were natural rights, they were natural law, and that by writing them down, it would, in effect, by putting it into words, it would diminish them somehow, because then it would, it would restrict them. It would take what was assumed to be true and put it into a certain type Def definition and thus limit them. And they were right, but they decided to take the risk because they felt that if they didn't do it, then future generations would not understand that these are rights given by the creator, that they're inalienable rights. The same thinking took place with Judah the prince when they wrote the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is basically a codification of the laws of the Torah. The second half of the Talmud is called the Gemara. Now, there are two authorized Gemaras. There is the, Pal there is the Palestinian Gemara, and there is the Babylonian Gemara. The Palestinian Gemara is not the more author authoritative of the two, because it was written in Palestine, and because Palestine, after Judah the Prince, and after the end of the enlightened Roman emperors, Judaism went back to being persecuted. It was not legal to pray. You know, it was not legal to be a Jew. You could be, you know, killed. You could be crucified. You could be assassinated, however they did it, if you were found praying as a Jew. So the, 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 the Palestinian Talmud, as a result, was written clandestinely. It was written underground, and it didn't have the, the atmosphere where it could be developed properly. So it's, 
It's smaller, it's limited, it's not authoritative. But the Babylonian Talmud, the Babylonian Gemara, that's the authoritative Gemara because that came out of the great religious yeshivas of Babylon, uh, Pumbedatha and Metisa and other yeshivas, where Judaism was experiencing a golden age. You know, Babylon was, uh, you know, the Jews who went into exile after the destruction of the first temple, they settled in Babylon, and then some of them went back and reestablished uh, Judea and developed the second commonwealth, but others did not, and they remained in Babylon and became a significant civilization there that had great influence. Um, they, uh, you know, Hillel the Elder, who was a contemporary of Jesus, he came in from Babylon with other scholars to revitalize the Judaism of Judea, which had fallen on hard times after the general the Roman general Poppy had desecrated the temple and had ended Jewish sovereignty. So Babylon was a great center of learning, and the Gemara became really and remains the authoritative Talmud. Now, the, so, so there's two parts to the Talmud. The first part was the, the Mishnah, codified by Judah the Prince, was created in pagan Rome. It had nothing to do with Christianity. The second part, the Gemara of Babylon, was created in Babylonia, which was not Christian. It was you know, predominantly uh, Zoroastrian. It was Persian. Uh, Christians and Jews in Babylon were a minority. By the way, they both got along very well, but they were not predominant. So I bring this up to make the point that it is unlikely that either the Mishnah or the Gemara, but especially the Gemara, makes any reference to Jesus. You know, there is a reference to this character, Yeshu, but it is unlikely that that character is Jesus. And this very point was made in medieval Europe when Nicholas Donin, who was a, a Jewish apostate, and who was one of these people that looked back with anger at Judaism for whatever reason, went to the Pope and said, you know, the, the Talmud has blasphemous language in it against, against Jesus, you have to destroy it, you have to burn it. The Pope decided not to, he didn't, he demurred from it. But then he went to the French King Louis, who became Saint Louis, and Louis took it upon himself to burn the Talmud. And he, as a result, burned about 13 crates of, you know, wagons full of Talmuds, very famous incident in history. And it was at that same time that you had this disputation between rabbis and priests to see the evidence that the Talmud had something in it that was against Jesus. And the rabbi at that time, and um, by the way, Dr. E. Michael Jones accurately mentions that this was the birth of Jewish humor. The rabbi said, well, it says, it says Jesus, but there might be another Jesus. Who's, you know? The fact is that the rabbi said at the time that just because someone is named Jesus in the Talmud, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the Jesus, your Jesus, any more than anyone named Louis is necessarily king of France. So I think that that argument still stands. Now, what was the passage that they were talking about that led to the burning of the Talmud? There is a passage, it's very nasty, that says that this Yeshu character is in hell burning in his own excrement. 
right? Not a nice image. And um, what I found out about that, I did a little research, is that this passage was put into the Talmud by Ankylos. Now, Ankylos was a convert to Judaism. He was a Roman citizen. He was a pagan. Not only was he a Roman citizen and a pagan, but he had been a um, like a pagan priest. He was very into this, the religion of the, the, the Roman mystery religion before he converted to Judaism. And that the rabbis seemed to believe that he was talking about when he was a pagan priest. He was talking about his past when he put this passage in there. And he also made reference to, to a Titus burning in, in his own excrement in hell for eternity and several other people burning an excrement in, their, in hell. Now, the image of someone burning an excrement in hell, that's not really a Jewish understanding of hell. You know, we don't have an anthropomorphic view of hell, where you have people in there who look like they looked in life and who are experiencing things. That's, that's more, frankly, a Christian idea of hell. It's also a pagan idea of some pagan faiths of hell. The Jewish idea is a little bit more vague. We don't make, it's actually not considered proper in Jewish faith to talk about hell in that way, nor is it proper to talk about God in that way. We don't want to view God as an anthropomorphic figure. You know, a guy with a lot of big white beard sitting on a cloud. I mean, we, it's more a mystery. We, we don't claim to know what God actually looks like or what hell actually looks like. That is something that we won't know until Judgment Day. You know, that's when uh, it's revealed to us after we cross the great, you know, the shuffle off the mortal coil, as Shakespeare says. So the likelihood that this was a Jewish thing is, is not there. That's my contention on that. As far as the comments about Jesus as being a momzer or a bastard, and, and this other blasphemous stuff, you know, that, that was not in the Talmud, all right? That was in a book that was published called Toledot Jeshu, the book of Jesus. And it was written by an author, and no one knows quite who, um, in the early centuries of the Common Era. It was very insulting toward Jesus. It was not good that they wrote this. It was not helpful. I, I hold it against this author. I don't think it was a good idea for Jews to read this or to get into this, but they did. And it was uh, not something that Jews should have. It's no business of Jews to speculate about Jesus's birth or Jesus's situation at all. Um, the, the Jewish tradition is to have no comment on this. But I only bring it up to point out that this book is not Talmud. It's not codified as part of the Jewish canon. It is just a book, and it's not something that needs to be viewed in that context. Um, and I would also juxtapose that with the context of what was going on at those times, which was that there was a very bitter and at times acrimonious and nasty spiritual fight between Jews and early Christians. So you had some animosity. You had some of these unfortunate commentaries. 
you had it coming in from the Christian side as well. In fact, uh, Dr. Jones in his book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, he talks about how St. John Chrysostom of Antioch made some terribly anti-Jewish comments that the Jewish women are whores and the men are effeminate and that they're going to poison your, 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 your uh, communities. And this was at a time when Jews and Christians, early Christians, were getting along very well in Antioch, and he wanted to make a separation in that way. So he wrote this pamphlet, this short book, condemning Jews, and that that book flew around the Roman Empire. It was almost like an email, <laughs> you know, boom, all of a sudden. And he was sainted for this. And, uh, you know, he wasn't the only one. There was also St. Jerome and St. Anathasius and other early Christian thinkers were making comments that were pretty anti-Jewish. Now, I, I put this also in the context of the times because I'm not, I'm not bringing this up to criticize the early Christian fathers because there was a movement at that time in the first centuries of the common era for Jews and Christians to separate themselves as a way of developing their own respective identities. Um, and that, in fact, the Talmud, to bring us back to that subject, has some pretty strong and pretty severe separations between Jews and non-Jews. There are things that you can't do with a non-Jew that if you're a Jew. And, and by today's standards, these things seem very harsh and they seem, um, you know, prejudicial and, and whatnot. But the fact is that they did this because they wanted to preserve the Jewish mission, the Jewish covenant the Jewish identity, and that they wanted to do so for the long haul. They didn't think that we would be able to reestablish the Commonwealth in, in Judea anytime soon. And so they wanted to make sure that the Jew stayed separate. So in this sense, in a very strange way, Judaism and Christianity had common mutual interests. You know, the Jewish, the Talmud, and the Jewish community wanted to separate itself from the non-Jewish world. And I'm saying non-Jewish because it's not specifically aimed at Christians either. You know, don't forget later on when the Muslims came around, we also survived in Islamic countries. And even, uh, you know, there were Jews in China, Jews in India. This served Judaism across the board in that we tried to keep a separate identity in, as a minority in a nation that was predominantly controlled by others. And we did so for 2,000 years. It's unprecedented in world history that we were able to do it. And I think a lot of that had to do with some of these very strong and at times very unpleasant sounding strictures that were put into the Talmud. So, you know, I don't really make apologies for that. I think we need to look at it in the, in the context of the time it was written. And... Um, you know, some of these things have been exaggerated by some Christians who are anti-Jewish to say that, that it was okay for the Jew to commit murder. That's untrue. Absolutely false. I'd like to see the, the, them cite that. And um, let me just conclude by, by, by getting into a theological point, because this is something that Dr. Jones brought up, and I've heard other Christian commentators mention who are very traditional Christians, and I say this with respect. They say that Judaism is Talmudist, that we broke from the Torah. 
and that somehow we created a new religion that's a reaction to Jesus. That's untrue. I understand that. I respect it. That's what Christians believe. But what I would suggest is that the Talmud does not break from the Torah. The Talmud is commentary on the Torah. The Talmud does not rise to the same level as the Torah in terms of spirituality. It is commentary. It is there to help the Jew living in the times where they live and after having lost sovereignty to observe the Torah in an imperfect situation. The temple had been destroyed. There had been, you know, we lost our independence. So the Talmud is basically a blueprint for how to live and how to function in the times we were living as a minority people. But it does not contradict the Torah. And uh, I would simply end by pointing out that if you want to learn about the Talmud and people who make these comments, they ought to study Talmud. They should read this little slender book that was published in the Middle Ages in Safat, which is in Israel, which is at the time it was, um, I think it was a Turkish part of South Syria, that is called the Shulchan Aruch, or the, the Ethics of the Fathers, written by a rabbi by the name of Joseph Caro. This is a widely read and understood text of Judaism. It's a central text of Judaism. Um, in fact, it's republished in many sitters, which is the prayer book that we, we look to on our daily prayers and on the Sabbath. And uh, this book, more than any other, capsulizes, uh, explains in, in easy-to-understand terms the basic methods, functions, meanings of the Talmud. And it's a beautiful book. So those are my thoughts on this topic. Um, and um, I'm hoping that um, YouTube doesn't limit the program. I don't know what, you know, they, they say that I'm not meeting community standards. I, I certainly see people out there who really are not, in my opinion, meeting community standards and they're not touched. So maybe, maybe uh, we'd have to know how they define community standards. I have no idea. But suffice to say that... Um, if something happens to this program, I am heard on many, many other networks. In fact, I just got picked up by Sprecher, <laughs> who carries all of my programs. So if you tune into my YouTube channel one day and find that I've been taken away or that the show has been restricted to the point where you can't see it, just put my name in the server, Charles Moskowitz, and you'll see all these other venues come up, which you can join. However, having said that, I, I do want to still view YouTube as the, the kind of the centerpiece of what I'm trying to do here, the crown jewel of my whole enterprise. And as such, I would ask you to subscribe to the station. Um, YouTube recently told me that I can't do any remote broadcasting until I have a thousand subscribers. Last I checked, I'm up to about 665, I think. So... I'd like to get to a thousand so I can then function in that way. And so please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Thanks for watching everyone. Have a great afternoon.